This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll visit with the great Gildersleeve, who's forced to deal with his banker's son, uh, a young man that he can't stand. But first, it's an episode of Let George Do It. It first aired in 1948. Now, if you're the type of person who just loves excitement, oh, say, riding in the scariest rides of the CNE or going to movies and just loving the fact that you know you're going to be half scared out of your mind, then you're going to love the main character in tonight's show. He's an actor who needs a little excitement in his life. And I think you'll appreciate the method George Valentine uses to satisfy this rather unusual client. Here's that episode of Let George Do It. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If it's too hot for you to handle and far off the beaten track, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. My dear sir, if uh, you're a moviegoer at all, you must know me, Peter Murch, the small, ineffectual man everyone laughs at as soon as he appears on the screen. But uh, there's nothing humorous about my present dilemma. After 30 years, I'm to be starred in my next picture... But unless you can help me, I'll have to say no to this dream of a lifetime. This is hard to explain in so many words. But if you'll meet me at the Farm Food Vegetarian Restaurant at 1 o'clock today, I'll explain everything. Signed, Urgently, Peter Merch. Oh, sure, Brooksy. You know, that gnome-like character from the movies? Oh, Casper Milk Toast himself. That's the guy. The hand-packed little man who puts galoshes over his rubbers when it rains. <laughs> George Valentine, maker of stars. Hey, I wonder how I fit into this program. Well, I can't wait to find out. Well, then, on to Mr. Merch. Oh, but just one thing, George. Yeah, what's that, Angel? Well, if we have to have lunch at a vegetarian restaurant, could we stop off for a, a hamburger first? <laughs> Veggie burgers. I insist we have veggie burgers for lunch. Veggie burgers? Yes, indeed, Miss Brooks. And if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't know they were made of nuts and choice legumes. Peas, beans... Yeah, I'm sure they're going to be real tasty. But uh, what about your letter? What's on your mind, Mr. Merch? Oh, dear. I knew that letter would sound confusing. To say the least. You see, Mr. Valentine, I had a long talk with my psychoanalyst. And you know what? What? I'm uh, schizophrenic. Oh, no. I'm not one person, I'm two, battling furiously with each other. Who's winning? I'm not really that mild, retiring little man that millions of people know, no. There's another side of me that craves excitement. 
even violence. Oh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Mercer. But it's quite true, young man. My psychoanalyst tells me I just can't go on being a house divided. No, I simply must involve myself in some kind of uh, exciting adventure. Well, what does your doctor expect you to do? Go out and kiss the first beautiful blonde you see on the street? Uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm serious, Mr. Valentine. Look at me. Practically a nervous wreck. I simply can't go on being the prim Peter Murch my public expects of me. When the director says, lights, camera, I begin to shake. So that's the other side of me coming out. Oh, that's bad. Yes, I break into a cold sweat. I, I feel like screaming right out there in front of everybody. Well, maybe all you need is a good scream. Oh, no, it isn't that simple. My psychoanalyst says I've been playing the timid soul in my personal life as well as on the screen. And it's affecting me. Anyway, I can't go into this new picture. Oh, but Mr. Murch, you've worked so hard all these years. And this is your first starring role. And it would be my first failure, too, in my mental condition. And, uh, you want me to provide the excitement? Yes, Mr. Valentine. Uh, perhaps introduce me to some low, disreputable characters. Uh, take me to places where almost anything can happen, you know. You really think that would help? Well, my psychoanalyst seems to think so. Uh, you will help me, won't you, Mr. Valentine? Well, uh, I'll pay your regular fee and whatever expenses we incur. Uh, well, okay, it's a deal. We'll see what forms of mild excitement we can find for you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Valentine. I'll be grateful to you as long as I live. Uh, can we start now? Oh, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to make some plans. What about 8 o'clock tonight? You see, I usually don't go out hunting excitement, Mr. Murch. As a rule, it just happens. <laughs> Oh, no, George. You're not going to take poor Mr. Murch to Mark Logan's grotto. Well, he wants excitement. Yeah, but not that low dive. He'll faint as soon as he gets in the door. Oh, darling, Mark Logan is a respectable citizen these days. He's gone straight. Yeah, in a crooked sort of way. He's running a genteel pool parlor and so-called grill. And if a fight breaks out now and then, you can't blame Mark. <laughs> Try and hit me with a pool cue, are you? Ah, you had a comedy. I seen you move that number seven ball when you thought I was a look and why you. Oh, oh, Mr. Valentine. Oh, my goodness. This will show you. Well, there you are, Mr. Murch. Life in the raw. Oh, my, this is exciting. Third brawl in one hour. Just what the doctor ordered. Okay, let the mug get up or beat his brains in. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, Pop. Come on, now, you two lugs. Break it up and get back to your game. I'm running a respectable joint here. Not yet, Logan. Not before I split his skull with his chair. Oh, oh, no. oh, my goodness. Oh, another inch, oh. Mr. Murch, and that chair would have parted your head. Yeah, and permanently. Okay, beat it, both of you. Finish it out in the alley. All right, Logan, I won't take me alone. I'll make you look like a pot of hamburger, brother. <laughs> you gotta excuse him, Mr. Valentine. The boys get kind of playful once in a while. Oh, sure, Mr. Logan. And you lose more pool cues that way. Oh, uh, Mr. Murch, we'd better get out of here before things really get rough. Oh, I wouldn't think of it for a moment. I'm just beginning to feel better. Oh. Uh, Mr. Murch. Yes, Mr. Valentine. Here's a nickel. Oh, thank you. Why don't you get something on the jukebox over there? I, uh, I want to talk to Mr. Logan a minute. Oh, this is so exciting. Evening, I've been waiting. Don't pay no attention to them numbers, Mr. Murch. Wherever you put your nickel, all you get is Mother McCree. That's my favorite. George, I'm afraid we've underestimated our timid soul. You can't get enough. Yeah, and you certainly did your best, Logan. Yeah, which brings up a point, Mr. Valentine. I don't want to be mercenary or nothing like that. Yeah. But there's a question of money. 
Joe and Alex just now almost killed themselves. There's the mother two fights we framed up. <laughs> okay, Logan, here you are. This ought to take care of the boys. Yeah, thanks. Say, if I knew you was willing to pay this much, I could have fixed up something real messy for the old boy. Oh, that song. Ain't it beautiful? Mother McCree. Yeah, sure. Got any other ideas for excitement, Logan? Well, that little guy don't scare easy. Now, wait. How about this? When you people leave the joint, I'll get the boys to drive up in a big black sedan. Yeah? They grab the little guy and take him out in the country for a spell. <laughs> you mean kidnap him? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't put it that way, Miss Brooks. They lock him in a cellar for a couple of days, keep him tied up. Ain't gonna hurt him, huh? Oh, hey, hold it, Logan. That's going a little too far. Yeah. Eh. I've got an idea. Yeah. And I think it'll work, too. What's that? Here's what you do. You take Mr. Murch out to the seaside amusement park. Oh, after this, a ride on the Ferris wheel is going to leave him cold. Oh, it's nothing like that. You're going to take him through the Tunnel of Love. Oh, Mr. Logan, I'll admit you can find a certain kind of excitement in the Tunnel of Love. But I doubt if Peter Murch is my type. Uh, he was talking to me, folks. He's not your type, either. Well, what I was thinking, Mr. Valentine, is uh, I happen to know the guy who runs the Tunnel of Love. His name is Len Dimmick. Oh, goody, George. Maybe we can get a special discount. What I mean is I'll call up Len and have him take the trip through the tunnel with you, personal. He's one of them practical jokers, so he'll play along with the gig. Now, dream up a couple of stunts. Leave it to Len to find a way to scare the pants off here, Mr. Murch. Well, it's worth a try, Logan, and the night's getting shorter. i got to earn my fee. If you want to get out of that amusement park quick, better take Walton Boulevard. They're tearing up Grayson Avenue. Okay, thanks a lot, Logan. Oh, Mr. Murch. Hmm? Yes, Mr. Valentine? Uh, if you can drag yourself away from Mother McCree, we'd like you to join us in a blood-curdling journey through the Tunnel of Love. Oh, just think of it. The three of us, alone, together. This should be real exciting. Nice racket you got here, Jimmy. Selling five minutes worth of darkness? Darkness is a valuable commodity, Mr. Valentine. It... it is? Yeah. Just like I was telling Mr. Murch here. Well, after all those gruesome things you've been telling us, I, I don't think I want to hear any more. Well, thanks. Thanks, Mr. Murch. Jimmy is right. Now, could you find a cozier place for a murder than a tunnel of love? Yeah, that reminds me. I remember a happy couple who took a ride through here just for a little innocent smoochie. And then... Yes? Suddenly, death struck. A silent, cruel blow. I, uh, I wish we had some light in here. What? In the Tunnel of Love? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, Jimmy. It was an unsolved crime, wasn't it? Often wondered how the poor man was killed. And how the young lady felt when she heard him scream. Here, in the darkness. <coughs> Mr. Dimmick, what was that? Oh, one of the many voices of darkness that echoed through the tunnel of love. Just calm yourself, Mr. Murch. Well, <laughs> I wasn't really frightened at all, Mr. Valentine. You're a brave man, Mr. Murch. Nobody knows what the next step into the darkness may lead to. Nobody knows... Mr. Dimmick! 
<laughs> I think our friend missed his profession. He should have been an actor. Mr. Valentine. Mr. Dimmick, I... I think he's fainted. Huh? Fainted? And his hair... Uh, I think it's blood. Oh, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, Wait. My... My head. Let me get some... George, he's not there. I'll light a match. Uh, look at it. We've got to get him out of here. Get him to a hospital. In, in my... my he, he's trying to say something to you, Mr. Valentine. What is it, What is it? What are you trying to say? In my pocket. Transfer. Yeah, yeah. Take it. Bus transfer. Hold on. Huh? We'll get a doctor, Mr. Demick. He'll take care of you. Here, strike another match, will you, Mr. Merch? Yes. I don't think Timmy has much use for a doctor now, Brooksy. George. But, Mr. Valentine, this can't be true. Why, things like this simply don't happen. I'm afraid this is an exception to the rule, Mr. Merch. Timmy's been murdered. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about how to be kind to your starter. It's often the little things that make your day a good one or a rough one. The simple business of starting your car, for example. If it's obstinate and gives you a bad time when you want to get going, it can add up to a lot of irritation. For fast starts every time, and wherever you're driving, just try Chevron Supreme gasoline in your car. This premium quality gasoline is climate-tailored, specially adapted to each different climate and altitude zone in the West. Day or night, summer or winter, you can depend upon it for fast starts. And that's a saving, too, of the power in your battery. What's more, Chevron Supreme gives your car smooth acceleration and extra power for rugged hills. Get a tank full tomorrow at any standard station or independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Now, back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, here's the situation. You take on a cockeyed job because that happens to be your business. A character actor wants you to provide him with some excitement because his psychoanalyst told him he's been playing the meek, timid type so long, it's beginning to affect his work. So, you give Peter Murch a ride for his money, including a ride through the tunnel of love in an amusement park. And then, murder strikes in the darkness. Valentine. Yeah, Lieutenant Riley. Usually people manage to get killed in bed, in their home, or on the street. But Dimmick gets murdered in his own tunnel of love. And you're right there with him. Oh, I know it sounds fantastic, Lieutenant. But believe me, we were just trying to introduce a little excitement into Mr. Murch's life. That's right. He was all very innocent. Ah. Oh, well, how was George to know anything like this would happen? Miss Brooks, I'm just a public servant. I get paid a reasonable sum each month to maintain law and order. And I don't like it when somebody gets paid to promote pool room brawls and instigate other forms of public disturbance. All right, stop quoting the policeman. Your lieutenant. Yeah. Whatever happened here tonight would have happened whether I was in on this deal or not. It's just that my psychoanalyst Mr. said... Mr. Murch, uh, why don't you go somewhere and have a nice, quiet, nervous breakdown? Well, my when I'm through here, I'll come and join you. Uh, murder in the tunnel of love. Oh, lieutenant. Yes, Brennan. The doc just got through with Dimmick. Skull fracture. 
blunt instrument. All right, I'll be right there. Uh, tell the boys to get some lights set up in that tunnel. We're going to go over it inch by inch. Yes, sir. Now, Valentine, I suppose you're going to go home to your nice warm bed. Oh, well, I'll be glad to stick around, give you a hand. No, 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 thanks, thanks. I've got enough trouble. But I want to see you the first thing in the morning in my office. Sure. And you too, Miss Brooks. Yes. And Mr. Murch. Uh, yeah, yes? It uh, might give you a little extra excitement to see the inside of a police station. So be there at nine sharp. But looks like we're not wanted around here, so uh, come on, Mr. Murch. I still think I ought to drop you off at your hotel, Mr. Murch. Yes, you've had enough for one night. Well, uh, my wife and I are staying at the Fenmore right here on Grayson Avenue. But I can tell, Mr. Valentine, you're not just giving up this case like that. Oh, no. You're up to something, aren't you? Well, well, yeah, you stirred up a hornet's nest somehow or other, and I want to see what it's all about. And I'm going to be right there with you. Oh, hey, no, 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 there's no use arguing. George? Yeah, Brooksy? Well, that part of a bus transfer Dimmick wanted you to have, what do you make of it? I don't know yet. Well, why should anyone keep a piece of old transfer? Now, that's probably one of the most worthless things in the world. And only a third of a transfer at that. But that man insisted that you have it with his dying breath. Must mean something. Yeah, well, we'll see what the lieutenant makes out of it. I gave it to him. Told him what Dimmick said. But you've made something out of it already, haven't you, Doc? Come on, let's have it. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, you can you can tell a lot from a bus transfer, Brooksy. Even a third of a one, if you look at it real careful-like. Meaning what? That it was issued by the Orange Bus Company, route number 411. And the little punch holes, one for the year, one for the month. And even the day and the hours during which it was good. You, you noticed all those things? That transfer was issued July 29th, 1943, between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. All of which still means nothing to me. Nor me either at this point. But I have an idea that late Mr. Dimmick managed to provide free transportation for his murderer to the end of the line. Hey, why are we turning off, George? Where are we going? <laughs> hey, you know something, Brooksy? Riley and I don't always agree, but he knows his business, and so do his boys. We're going down to police headquarters. Well, what for, Mr. Valentine? The police don't miss much, and when they do, they make a record of it so they'll never forget. And that's where we're headed, Mr. Murch, the Department of Unsolved Crimes. Valentine. Yeah, and this time I brought you a container of coffee, Dawson. Thought you'd need it. Well, the sleepier we can get down in this department, the better we like it. Who are your friends? Oh, my assistant, Miss Brooks and Mr. Murch. How do you do? What do you want, Valentine? You know these files aren't open to the public. Well, I'm not just the public, Dawson. Uh, your boss, Riley, told me to be down here tomorrow morning and be sure I had the right information. He said that? Oh, yeah, sure. Go on. Call him up. Check for yourself. Oh, no. As long as he said so. What do you want to know? If there were any unsolved crimes on July 29th, 1943. July 43, let's see. Oh, it's that file in the corner near the window. Okay, thanks. Uh, just uh, what are you looking for, Mr. Valentine? The murderer, I hope. You and I ought to be used to being left in the dark, Mr. Murch. Let's see. Yeah, July 1943. Let's see what we got in this one. Stolen car in front of Grant and Company... Burglary and... Yes? And on July 29th, 5.35 p.m., $200,000 jewel robbery at Smith and Allenby Jewelers on 5th Street. The date on the transfer. Uh-huh. And that picture. 
That's our Mr. Dimmick. Leonard Dimmick, 38, clerk at Smith and Allenby's. No suspicion of collusion and holdup. But Dimmick was operating a tunnel of love. A lot of things can happen in a man's life in five years, Brooksy. Let's see that, George. No getaway car used in robbery as far as known. Passerby observed man in gray suit carrying briefcase board orange bus outside jewelry store almost immediately after holdup. Witness positive man was running from store. Oh, dear me. This is just too much for me. Traced bus driver number 602, but no information on man in gray suit. Well, that's that, kids. Now we've really got to work. What's the rush, George? If we don't move fast, Brooksy, there's going to be another murder. Mr. Valentine, as I told you, this is the busiest time of the day for us here at the depot. You know, getting the buses out on schedule. Yeah, I, I understand, Mr. Eldridge. But look, this is very important. Who was your bus driver, number 602, on July 29th, 1943? Oh, very well. If you can't wait, I'll look it up for you. You see, uh, we have a file here on every man who ever worked for us. Uh-huh. 44, 43, July the 29th. Oh, yeah, here we are. Yeah. Yeah, number 602. It was, uh, was a Bob Gray. Still work for you? Oh, yeah, Bob's still with us. As a matter of fact, he's one of our steadiest men. There's nothing wrong, is there? I don't know yet. Well, where can I get hold of Mr. Graves? Why, well, yeah, I don't know. This is day off. All right, what's his address? Come on, come on. Uh, 1411 Dever Street. One four one one. Looks like a rooming house. Yeah, with the inevitable sign. No room. Could uh, could you take these steps a little slower, please? Oh, oh Mr. Murch, I almost forgot about you. Well, I, I'm not just as young as I used to be. Who is? <laughs> but right now, I'm interested in seeing that someone else has a chance to grow a little older. Wait a minute, George. There's a name here under this bell. What does it say? Uh, Bob Gray. That's our man. But, uh, who is Bob Gray? An honest toiler, Mr. Murch. To be more specific, a bus driver. To be more specific, bus driver number 602, who had a very busy day, July 29th, 1943. Yeah, who is it? A friend of yours sent me over to talk to you, Graves. Ron, beat it. Get out of here. Okay, Bob. But Len Dimmick wouldn't like the way you treat me. What'd you say? Who are you? There's nothing much I can say with that gun stuck in my midriff. Never mind that. Who are these two? Just friends. What do you say we go inside and close the door? It'll be much easier that way. Okay. But what's this about Dimmick? Come on, come on, talk. I wish he wouldn't keep pointing that gun. It makes me nervous. (sighs) Nothing like excitement, is there, Mr. Murch? Look, mister, you said something about Dimmick. What about him? He's dead. He's... So what? You bringing me an invitation to his funeral? No. I'm just trying to postpone your funeral. What's that supposed to mean? Just this, listen. You're going to have a visitor any time now. I'm surprised he hasn't shown up before. I still say what's that supposed to mean? All right, friend, if that's your attitude. And I thought you had to have some brains to be a bus driver. How do you know so much about me? And being a bus driver, you should appreciate the value of a transfer. Even a piece of a transfer. Transfer? That's right. All right, spill it. Remember, I got this gun in your gut. George, be careful. Don't worry, Brooks. He's much too curious to shoot. Yes, but that gun may go off accidentally. Who's that? Did you bring the cops? I didn't bring anybody. That's your visitor. What? Pull down your trigger finger and listen to me. What's this all about? Are you a cop? I'm strictly on my own. But if I'm right, whoever's knocking on that door is here to kill you. I'm not kidding. Well... And no one knows it better than you. You gonna do as I tell you? All right. Brooksy, you and Mr. Murch get over there in that corner, away from the door, make it snappy. Yes, George. Come on, Mr. Murch. Graves, open up. 
Try to be natural. Put that gun away. Yeah, yeah. I'll be standing right here in back of the door. <laughs> well, Graves, I was beginning to think you were out. Uh, you know how it is, Logan. My day off. I guess I fell asleep. Awful thing happened to Len Dimmick, didn't it? Yeah, I heard about it. Come inside, huh? And just when we were going to split everything three ways. Yeah, that's right. That makes the gravy all the richer for you and me, don't it? I don't get it. And if there was only one, there'd be nothing but gravy left. What are you talking about? You want me to interpret? Valentine, you... What Logan means, Graves, is he was going to kill you just as he killed Dimmick. No, you're out of your mind. Maybe, but you killed Len Dimmick. When I heard about Len, I thought it was something like that. Don't listen to him, Bob. You were just too clumsy about it, Logan. I took Grayson Avenue coming back. It wasn't torn up at all the way you said. So what? You sent us the long way so you could get to the Tunnel of Love before us. That's right, George. And he'd be the only one to know that Dimmick would be inside the Tunnel of Love with us. He arranged the whole thing. Oh, Mike, but... You sneaked into the Tunnel before us, Logan. You were waiting on the platform for the boat to pass. Yeah, but in, in the darkness, it could it could have been me. I could have had my head bashed in. I... I don't think I feel so good. No, it wouldn't have been you, Mr. Murch. Len Dimmick was doing all the talking. Made himself the perfect target. Graves, you're not going to believe this guy, are you? Yeah, I believe him. You killed Len and you came here to kill me so you could have all the gravy you was talking about. Put that gun down, Bob. Put it down. Double cross me, will you? Yeah, let me have that Graves. You got a big enough rap against you now. George, let go. He, he shot Mr. Logan. And the first one who moves will get what he got. I'm getting out. Stay where you are. Drop that gun. Huh? I said drop it. That's better. Oh, Lieutenant Riley. Where is Lieutenant? Sergeant Dawson called and said you were snooping around the unsolved crimes department, so I had you tailed. Now, who's this guy on the floor here? How bad's he hurt? My my arm. You should have blown your head off. Brennan, get this man out of here to a hospital, whoever he is. That's Mike Logan, Lieutenant. Ex-con. Now runs a pool parlor. Now, what's this all about? Well, Logan's one end of a triangle. Len Dimmick, former jewelry clerk, was the second. And Graves here, bus driver, is the third. They're the trio who waltzed through that Smith and Allenby job back in 43. How do you know all of this, Valentine? Lieutenant, I think that if you go through Logan's clothes when he gets to the hospital, you'll find a third of a bus transfer on him. Wouldn't you say so, Graves? I, uh... Uh, why not? Sure, we pulled that job, the three of us. Dimmick, Logan, and me. We decided to wait five years because the jewels were too hot to touch right away. Where are they now? Buried under the water in the tunnel of love. But uh, those uh, transfers... Yes, what about them? Uh, lots of things can happen in five years. Guy can die, get put in jail. So we decided whoever showed up with a third of the transfer from my bus would get his share. Valentine, how did you stumble onto Graves? Well, Lieutenant, why a third of a transfer? Why not a quarter or a half? I knew about Dimmick and Logan. That makes two. But there was still one more to account for. I get it, and it had to be the bus driver. That's right, Brooksy. They wouldn't leave their getaway to chance. And they were sure the bus would be right there at the exact minute. Well, I'll be... Almost $70,000 for a third of an old transfer. No wonder Logan was willing to go to all that trouble to get rid of Dimmick and Graves. Well, is that enough excitement for you, Mr. Murch? Mr. Murch! What's the matter, Brooks? He... he's fainted. Well, here we are, Mr. Murch. Feeling better? Here's your hotel, Mr. Murch. I, I don't know what you think about me painting like that. 
But I really do feel like a new man. My psychoanalyst was so right. You think you're up to playing that star role now? Oh, yes, of course. And now that I'm convinced I'm the swaggering, masterful type at heart... Good for you, Mr. Birch. Oh, uh... Hmm. Oh, just one thing. Yes? Would uh, you two mind coming upstairs with me? But why? I, I stayed out so much later than I promised. Oh? Hmm? You see, Mrs. Birch is such a forceful personality. If you're planning a motoring trip, here's something you should do to make it a safe trip. Stop in at a standard station or independent Chevron gas station before you start out and have your tires inspected. If you find they're worn smooth, have risky cuts or bruises, don't take a chance. Play safe and get a new set of grip-safe Atlas tires. The wider, skid-resisting Atlas tread gives you greater driving protection. There's more rubber to grip the road to give you quick, safe stops and absorb road shock. With each new Atlas passenger tire, you get a full year's written warranty against damage to the tire from road hazards. No wonder Atlas is the tire known nationally for its safety, long life, and economy. Another tip, when you're on the open road, keep safe by keeping the right amount of air in each tire. And that's a job for the folks at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations, where they say, and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear Lieutenant Riley saying, Look, Miss Brooks, my feet hurt. Let's get back to the house. Oh, hmm? please, Lieutenant. George and Maude have been away so long, I'm really worried. Let's take one look up here in the lemon grove. Well, all right. Wait till I put the flashlight on. Look. Over there. Valentine. George. Oh. Hello, everybody. I was just thinking of getting up anyway. Oh. Somebody must have been staging an atomic test around here. Hey, where's Marta? Here's your answer, Valentine. She's right over here, but uh, no hurry. She couldn't move if she tried. adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Louis Van Ruten as Mr. Murch, Joe Duvall as Logan, Paul Fries as Dimmick, Arnie Phillips as Graves, and Dick Ryan as the manager. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah.
Cheese Company, makers of Parquet Margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Terry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you the Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore, music by Claude Sweeten. Let us turn now to the busy world of industry and finance. Jubilant last week was eager, bumbling Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, one-time water commissioner and prospective mousetrap tycoon. The reason he and his partner, Fibber McGee, envisioned a rosy future in a post-war world of mice and millions. Well, time marches on and Gildersleeve forges ahead with plans for the manufacture of McGee's plastic mousetrap. We find him now at dinner discussing those plans with his legal counsel, Judge Hooker. Present also are his niece, Marjorie, and nephew, Leroy. Now, let me give you the picture as I see it, Judge. To begin with, we issue 10,000 shares of stock, McGee and I, at a par value of a dollar a share. Pass the salt, will you? You can reach it. That gives us a startling uh, and a starting capital of 10,000. Now, all... Leroy, pass the salt. Leroy, pass the salt. She didn't say please. I did, too. Anyway, why should I? Pass the salt. Pass it. Here, Marge. Salt. Never mind. You're too late. I'll eat it without salt. You'll take it. Here, give me that, Leroy. Uncle Mort, not on my ham. You asked for salt. Confound it. Now eat it. But not on my ham. The ham was salty already. I wanted it on my... Eat it. Eat mm. judge. I'm trying to talk business with a judge here. I'm sorry, Judge. Continue. I wasn't saying anything, Gildy. It was you. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I'll go back. To begin with, McGee and I issue 10,000 shares of stock. Excuse me, please. Yes? Before you begin, if Marjorie's through with the salt there... Give him the salt. <laughs> hey, I Judge Leroy, you don't have to grab. Quiet. Now, if you're listening, Judge... I'm listening, Gildy. Continue. I always like a little salt on my spinach. I always like a little quiet when I'm talking. <laughs> you're always talking. <laughs> Leroy. Proceed, Gildy. I've forgotten where I was now. Well, you were cooking up some shady stock deal. Oh, yes. Well, to begin with, what do you mean, shady? <laughs> this is all open and above board, Judge. We simply issue 10,000 shares of common, ordinary stock, which gives us a working capital... Excuse me. What is it, Bertie? How about a little more of the corn pudding for the judge? Pudding, Judge? Well, I'll tell you, Bertie, I shouldn't eat any more, but by golly, I'm going to. It's simply delicious. Yes, sir, it sure is. Shoot the jam, Marge. Leroy, that's no way to ask... Sorry. Pretty fair one. Woods past the raspberry jam. Uh, Marjorie? Thank you, sister dear. You're welcome, brother dear, and may it choke you. <laughs> Sweet kid. No, no, no. Leroy, a little more corn pudding for you? Not for me, Bertie. I got only a little of it left here. Ain't you gonna help finish it up? No, thanks, Bertie. I can't stand the stuff. Leroy, is that any way to talk about something Bertie has worked hard on? Well, it's squishy. I can't stand anything squishy. I've told you, young man, not to criticize your food. Give him another helping, Bertie. Oh, on. 
Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve, if the boy don't want Give it, I... him another helping. According to modern education, Gildy, you're all wrong and... Let's keep it. modern education out of this, Judge. Give the boy another helping, Bertie. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, Leroy. I'm telling you, I can't eat it. You'll either eat it or go to bed. Oh, I'll go to bed. No, you won't. You'll eat it. <laughs> yes, sir. A little corn pudding never hurt anybody. I ate corn pudding when I was your age. Didn't like it particularly, but I ate it. Corn pudding is good for you, Leroy. Builds you up. Vitamins. All right, you don't have to eat it if you don't want to. Ah, uh, thanks, Unc. Hey, guess who's back in town? Who? Marge knows, don't you, Marge? If you're referring to Everett Todd, I can't stand him. Oh, you can't, eh? No, I can't. Everett Todd is a mole. Yeah, a what? A mole. He's a drip. Mole? Well, that's a new one. You mean Ainsworth's Todd's boy? Yeah, Everett. I thought he went to military school. He did, but the Army took it over. So now he's back in high school. <laughs> he ought to be in reform school. Yep. Oh, no. He can't be that bad, Marjorie. His father's president of the First National Bank. We all know that, Judge. But what difference does it make? The boy is plainly a mole. And so is his old man. I can never stand him either. Thank you, Uncle Mort. Never had any use for Ainsworth. I haven't any use for his son. I don't want him hanging around my niece. Now, Gildy, you don't know anything about the boy. He's a mole, Jazz. (laughs) He threatened to come over this evening. If he does, I shall just refuse to see him. If he does, I shall throw him out on his ear. (laughs) Boy, I hope he comes. Why? You haven't seen him lately. He's got a good six inches over you, Unc. Finish your dinner, Leroy. The judge and I have business. I'm finished. Eat some corn pudding. What? Eat it. Okay. Miss Marjane in here? Uh, no, she's up in the room doing her homework. Oh, there's a young Mr. Todd at the door to see her. Todd? That must be Ainsworth's boy. Well, by George, I'll tell him where Now, he... wait a minute, Gildy, wait a minute. Have the young men wait, Bertie. You know, I've been thinking. What? I wouldn't be too hasty about throwing young Todd out of the house. You may want to borrow money from his father's bank. Borrow from Ainsworth Todd? That stuffed shirt? I never borrow a nickel from him. I'd sooner raise the money myself. By George, I will raise it myself. How? I don't know. Todd isn't a bad fellow. He's got the only bank in Summerfield. Monopoly. Oh, you're talking like a baby, Throckmorton. What on earth have you got against Todd? Well, he threw me out of his office once, you must know. What for? We had a disagreement. I may have called him a crook in the heat of the argument. (laughs) Well, you better see if you can get back in his good graces. If he's against you, you won't get credit anywhere in town. Oh? Hmm. Maybe you're right, Judge. I've got to be going now. But uh, think it over, Gildy. Yeah. Uh, Bertie, I'll speak to the young man myself. Yes, sir. Good night, Judge. Good night. Well, 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 my boy. Gildersleeve is my name. How do you do, sir? So you've come to see Marjorie. Well, yes, sir. That is, if she's in. Oh, she's expecting you, all right. Yes, indeed. Come right in. Oh, Marjorie. Yes, Uncle Mort. Better hurry down, my dear. Someone to see you. Who is it? Never you mind. (laughs) We'll surprise her. Uh, let me have your hat. Uh, come in and sit down. I remember your father. Remember him well. Call me Uncle Mort. You have a visitor, my dear. I have? Oh, hello. Uh, hello, Marjorie. How are you? I thought you were kidding when you said you might come over. I've got an awful lot of homework to do. Oh, gee. I'm terribly sorry, but I'll have to ask you to excuse me. Now, Marjorie, you can relax for a few minutes. Bad for your eyes to keep studying all evening. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty warm lately, hasn't it, Marjorie? <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> Quite unseasonable. Um, I, I guess it'll be getting colder pretty soon, though. Huh, Marge? <laughs> Think so, Marge? Oh, I suppose so. Uh, and Marjorie, do you like Wedgie Arcola's music? Oh, it's all right, I guess. I think he's murder. His whole band's murder, but but he's really mur- murder. I, I think he plays more trumpet than Harry James. I wouldn't know. You don't happen to have Wedgie's record of Is You Is or Is You Ain't, do you? No, I haven't. Well, I just happen to have it with me. I mean, out in the car, if you'd like to hear it. He plays an awful lot of trumpet in that record. Is that so? Uh, by the way, how's your father these days? Uh, would you like to hear the record, Marjorie? I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, sure she would. So would I. Well, swell. And it'll only take a second. Oh, uh, and look out for the hat rack. <laughs> I'll leave the latch off. Be right back. <sighs> Marjorie, you're not being very polite to your young friend. Uncle Mort, I told you I didn't want to see him. He's a mole. Yeah. Now, my dear, that's just your opinion. Oh, no, it isn't. You said so yourself. You said you didn't like him. I don't even know him. I need money from his father's bank to finance our company, my dear. And I can't have you insulting this boy. Oh. Uh, just be friendly, can't you? I suppose you want me to let him kiss me. If he tries it, I'll break his neck. (laughs) All I want is ordinary courtesy, my dear. Just be friendly. Because if you're friendly, he'll be friendly. And if he's friendly, maybe his father will be friendly. (laughs) The tight one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you... Oh, hello, my boy. Uh, Got the record, I see. Yes. Uh, What's his first name, my dear? Um, uh, the phonograph is over here. Everett? Yes, right over here, Everett. Oh, thanks. <laughs> hey, I sure hope you'll, you're going to like this, Marjorie. I'm sure she will. I uh, heard his record of Blue Lagoon, and I thought it was awfully good. Oh, that one? After he made it, he fired his whole rhythm section. The new guys are much better. Uh, how's your father these days, Everett? Is the needle hot yet? I guess he's all right. <laughs> well, here we go. Uh, nothing like a little jazz. <laughs> That's wedgie, Mr. Gildersleeve. Some tone, huh? Great. I always like the cornet. It's a trumpet. Trumpet. Oh, well, it's hard to tell which is which. Wyatt, how can we hear it? Oh, sorry. You think the fellow is Toscanini or Tchaikovsky? And that's the end of the solo. That trumpet's really murder, isn't it? It suggests murder. <laughs> <laughs> When this Arcola first started, he was a piano player. He didn't switch to the trumpet till later. Well, that happens. Uh, by the way, Everett, uh, what was your father before he became a banker? Oh, I guess he was always a banker. Uh, I guess he's pretty good at it, too. Knows who to lend money to. Knows a reliable man when he sees one. Yeah, I suppose so. I never thought much about it. Uh, <laughs> Leroy! <laughs> what are you doing down here in your pajamas? For corn's sake, I couldn't sleep. What was all that racket? Racket? That Wedgie Arcola's latest record. Arcola? Oh, boy, play it again, huh? He's super. Why not? Just the trumpet solo, Everett. You belong in bed, young man. Oh, just let me hear it this once. Roll them, Everett. They're rolling. Uh, what'd you say the name of the piece was? Quiet, I want to hear the trumpet. <laughs> 
They can hear it across the street. Why anybody gets paid for stuff like that, I can't imagine. Yep. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? A uh, little ungrammatical, isn't it? <laughs> Boy, that our cola is really super. Go to bed, Leroy. But it's only ten thirty. I don't care. It's time you were in bed. Besides, it's ten forty-five. It's ten forty. Stop quibbling and go to bed. Gosh, you never want me to have any fun. <laughs> Hates to go to bed, the little rascal. Now, uh, what were we talking about, Everett? Oh, we were talking about your father. Uh, no, no, about Wedgie Arcola. But, gee, I ought to be going home. Stick around. It's only 11. No, no, gee, I gotta go. Well, now that you know the way... I'd like to come and see Marjorie oh, again. I hope if... you will. That's the way, my dear. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Well, it's sure great to meet people that are interested in good music. I'm afraid Mr. Gildersleeve isn't quite as sold on Wedgie as I am. Don't you believe it, my boy. I'm crazy about Wedgie. Really, Uncle Mort? I think he's great. Is you is, oh, is you ain't, my baby. Oh, gosh. Mr. Gildersleeve, but as long as you're getting to be such a fan, how'd it be if we played it once more? J- just the solo part. Oh, sure. Love to hear it. Come on, Everett. I love every note of that thing. It'll take more than 10000 to pay me for this. More than twenty. Why, George, there isn't enough money in the whole bank. Yeah, that's murder. Oh, it sure is. Well, good night, Mr. Gildersleeve. Good night, Marjorie. I'll leave the record for you. Only take good care of it, huh? Good night. Yeah, good night, my boy. Oh, and uh, give my regards to your father. Now, for Pete's sake, let's go to bed. Get back to the great Gildersleeve. Several days have passed since we last saw him, and though he hasn't yet been able to see Mr. Ainsworth Todd of the Summerfield First National, his hopes are high. At the moment, we find him at home, enjoying the comforts thereof. Oh, that thing again! I can't stand this! So he leaves home and seeks refuge down at the drugstore with his old friend, Mr. Pete. I don't care how hot it gets, Peavy, as long as it's quiet. That's one thing I'll say for this place. It's quiet. Sometimes it's too quiet. Something I can do for you? No, I'd just like to sit here and enjoy a little peace, if you don't mind. A little hullabaloo at home? Hullabaloo. It's a madhouse. Every evening, all evening long. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? I can't get the darn thing out of my head. Yeah, I know how it is. Reminds me of a tune when I was a boy. Drove father crazy. That must have been 45 years ago, but I still catch myself humming it. Let's see, how did it go now? Never mind. Dun, 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 Let it go. Dun, 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 and that's the kind of a thing I came down here to get away from. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve, but your mentioning tunes reminded me of it. 
I'll be more careful in the future. Yes, sir, I believe we still have a record of that on our music box. Music box? You still have a music box? Oh, yes. The modern type, of course, with the flat metal record. The modern type, yes. I thought some last Christmas of trading it in on a phonograph. Thought maybe Mrs. Peavy might like it. But then I decided to wait until they get the thing perfected. It's just... <laughs> well, maybe you're better off with the music box at that, Peavy. At least you won't run into an is you is or is you ain't my baby. <laughs> oh, dear. By George, Peavy, have you ever stopped to ask yourself what the younger generation is coming to? No, I haven't. What are they coming to, Mr. Gillespie? <laughs> I don't know. But I don't want to be around when it arrives, I'll tell you that. <laughs> is you is or is you ain't. I'll tell you one thing, they'll come to no good. Yeah, no, I didn't see that. <laughs> take your children. Now, Marjorie, she comes in here after school sometimes. Yes. And the boys crowd around her, maybe two or three of them, and offer to buy her a soda. Oh, how does she handle it? Well, I don't know how she does it, but she does. <laughs> By George, she's pretty cute, isn't she? Yeah, and the boys seem to think so, too. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Going to be a problem. Heck, it is a problem. She was in here yesterday with that Todd boy, the banker's son. Oh, him. <laughs> that's nothing to worry about, Phoebe. She can't stand him. Yeah, I not say that. Phoebe, I know all about it. She's being nice to him. But she's doing that because I asked her to. You asked her to? Uh-huh. You see, uh, well, I can't stand the kid either, but his father is president of the bank. Oh. <laughs> McGee and I are planning to negotiate a little loan so we can go into production. The mousetrap. Yeah, the mousetrap. Yeah. <laughs> I have an appointment at the bank tomorrow morning, Peavy, so I just hold on to myself and keep my temper to lend, and Marge, we can keep hers. We'll get what we need, and we can give Junior the old heave-ho then. <laughs> Pretty foxy, eh, Peavy? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gildersleeve, do you ever have trouble sleeping night? No. Why? What do you mean? That's just good business, Peavy. You know Todd will do the same thing. Can't trust those fellas. I only asked the girl to be a little polite to the kid, for goodness sake. There's nothing wrong in that. Oh, good night, Peavy. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, Mr. Todd in? Uh, Gildersleeve is my name. I have an appointment. Oh, yeah. Right through there, please. Uh, Mr. Todd, uh, remember me? Gildersleeve? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Come in. I'm afraid I'm a little early. That's all right. I've been here since 8.30. Sit down. Uh, thank you. Uh... <laughs> I guess you have to get up pretty early in the morning to get ahead of the First National Bank of Summerfield. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we're all a little busy these days. Uh, by the way, we've been seeing a good deal of your son lately. Fine lad, fine lad. Uh, perhaps he's mentioned me. Not that I recall. Oh, he hasn't. <laughs> Was there something you wanted to see me about, Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, yes, there is. <clears throat> Mr. Todd, you're a banker, right? I like to think so. I guess we all know what bankers are in business for, to make a little money, right? The First National is interested in any legitimate proposition. Then you've come to the right place. Uh... <laughs> Mr. Todd, I'd like a loan of $10,000. You would? 
Well, may I ask the purpose of this loan? The purpose is to build a factory. And what, may I ask, is this factory going to manufacture? None of your business. It... Well, you can't expect a loan if you don't tell us what you're going to manufacture. If I tell you, how do I know you won't steal the idea and make it yourself? Mr. Gildersleeve, the First National of Summerfield is a banking institution, pure and simple. We do no manufacturing and no selling. Neither do we wash windows. I noticed that. Um... <laughs> You're, you're in business, aren't you? Let us say, rather, that we're engaged in public service. Well, you can say it, but I don't know who'll believe it, brother. <laughs> Here I come in with a perfectly good invention that all it needs is a little money to get it started. And what kind of a reception do I get? Mr. Gildersleeve, if you would be so very kind as to tell me what your invention is, perhaps we could then sit down and discuss this matter reasonably. All right, I'll tell you. Certainly, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. It's a mousetrap. It's a... A mousetrap? Yeah, and a darn good one. Mr. Gildersleeve. I am a very busy man. Good day. Listen, Todd, you can't treat me like this. I'm a depositor in this bank. I was just about to mention that. Well, I withdraw my account. It has just been brought to my attention, Gildersleeve, that your account has been overdrawn. Nevertheless, I withdraw it. In the future, you can withdraw your son from my collar if I don't kick him out first. Yes, sir. I guess I told him. I'll tell that smart alley kid, too. Teach him to park his car across my driveway. Oh! Marjorie! Uh, uh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'll deal with you in a moment, young man. <laughs> Marjorie, will you come with me, please? Here, into my study. You wait right where you are, Everett. Now, young lady, was that impudent young scoundrel kissing you, or was he not? I don't know. He had his arms around you, didn't he? Sort of. He hadn't actually kissed you? Not exactly. What do you mean, not exactly? He either kissed you or he didn't. Well, he... He tried to kiss me, but he missed. <laughs> oh, I see. I might have known he'd be that kind of a boy who'd pull something like that. I knew he was a sneak the first minute I lays eyes on him. He's not a sneak. Oh, yes, he is. He's a sneak, and so is his father. And by George, I'm going to kick him right out of this house, and right now. Wait a minute, Uncle Mort. It wasn't his fault. Of course it was his fault. It's always the boy's fault. I tried to get him to kiss me. Marjorie, do you know what you're saying? I tried to get him. Don't repeat it. (laughs) (laughs) My little niece, I knew the time would be coming soon when we'd have to face this kind of thing. Oh, Uncle Mort, it's not so serious. Not so... Sit down, my dear. Look at me, not off at the bookcase. Now, this is serious, my dear. A girl's first kiss is something very special. It should mean a great deal. But I had my first kiss two years ago. (laughs) Jerry Nesmith. He kissed me in the cloakroom in junior high school. Oh, he did, eh? Well, from now on, I want your kisses to be something sacred, Marjorie. I want you to start saving them for the man you're going to marry. But I don't know who that is. You... You'll know when you meet him. When the right man comes along, you'll know. How? Well, you just know, that's all. You'll feel like spring in your heart, my dear. You'll find yourself thinking about him all the time. You'll be unhappy when he's not around. You'll spend all day looking forward to the moment when you'll see him. And when you're with him, you'll feel like singing. Is that the way it is? That's love, my dear, when the right man comes along. That's exactly the way I felt ever since Tuesday. Oh! (laughs) 
That's ridiculous. You're much too young. You're just a child. Yesterday, I saw his face in my English literature book. Just as clear... Marjorie, this is nonsense. Last night, I felt like singing when I saw him coming up the front steps. This has gone far enough, young lady. You send this boy home instantly. But Uncle Morris... I forbid you to see him again. But why? I'll not have kissing going on at your age. Will you send him home? No, I won't. Marjorie, have you no regard for my wishes? But Uncle Mort, this whole thing was your idea in the first place. Well, I... Uh, uh, huh? Oh, I only wanted you to be friendly. Well, I was. Can I help it if I like him? Liking him is one thing, and kissing and cuddling is something else. I won't have it. Well, can we be just friends? Can I trust you? <laughs> sure. We'll just talk and have fun like we did before. Well, we can try it. But the first time I see a sign of any monkey business... Oh, Uncle Mort, you're a darling. Now, Marjorie... You're the sweetest uncle that ever lived. Uh, now, why did I do that? Well, we're only young once, I guess. Probably just as well, too. Oh, this could go on for years. Oh, yes, Leroy? What happened? Boy, did I have fun with Ethel Hammerschlag. What? <laughs> you and Ethel Hammerschlag? Yeah, in the cloakroom. <laughs> Leroy, what did... Me and Piggy put a live frog in a lunchbox. Boy, was she surprised. <laughs> Very good, my boy. And I mean, don't ever do it again. <laughs> you had a little Leroy. Good night, everybody. program was directed by Claude Sweet. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of Parquet Margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products. Kraft invites you to listen again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nightbeat, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.